Good morning and welcome to Grace. We're so glad to see you. You may go ahead and be seated. Welcome to Grace this morning. My name is Nick Stolnos. How are you? I want to welcome you to church this morning, especially if you're a visitor. We're glad that you're here. If you would, please take that blue card that's in front of you, fill it out, put it in the offering box in the back or in the narthex. We'd love to have a chance to get to know you a little bit better and that information helps us out. Happy Mother's Day to all the mothers here, um, biological mothers, adoptive mothers, spiritual mothers, those who have poured into uh, the lives of the younger generations. We appreciate you, and it is a good day to celebrate. Just a few other things to bring up. There's no youth group tonight, so enjoy that time with your family today. It's nice to get a little break every once in a while. We will have youth group next week, but we'll also be having a mission trip informational meeting for our mission trip to Atlantic City coming up in July. So if you are interested, if you're thinking about going, make sure that you're there at 5 on next Sunday. Also, Sarah Crana wanted me to remind everyone that there's going to be another music jam session on May 23rd, which is a Sunday night here at 5. So if you're interested in playing music and you're not necessarily signing yourself up for the music team, but if you want to use your gifts and be around people who are gifted musically or who would like to learn, that's a good place to start. All right. And uh, the Straits are out of town, as you can tell. They are in Indiana celebrating Anna's graduation from college. So we're excited about that, and we're praying that they'll have a safe trip back, and we look forward to them being back with us next week. So let's go to the Lord in prayer right now as we prepare to worship. Thank you, God, for this new day. Thank you, God, for springtime, the changing of the seasons, for the way that you are at work all around us. And certainly, Lord, we are here to see you work in us. We need your help with that. We, we need your grace. We need your love and forgiveness. And we thank you that we are in the right place to be with you, to experience all those things, and that we would embrace our identity as your people. We do pray for the straits. Lord, we do pray that they would have a great time together as a family, and we pray that you would bring them back safely to us, and uh, we pray uh, all these things with the prayer that you taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I invite you all to stand now for the call to worship as God calls us to worship him through his word. Let me read these words to us from Psalm 29. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. We get to confess our common faith together by using the words of the Shorter Catechism, our question and answer format for the basics of the Christian faith. So let me read the question and then let's recite together. 
What is adoption? Adoption is an act of God's free grace, whereby we are received into the number and have a right to all the privileges of the sons of God. What is sanctification? Sanctification is the work of God's free grace, whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God and are enabled more and more to die unto sin and live unto righteousness. Part of dying to sin is, of course, naming it, confessing it, coming to God with our need, our need of forgiveness. So let's pray this congregational confession of sin together. Merciful God, you pardon all who truly repent and turn to you. We humbly confess our sins and ask your mercy. We have not loved you with a pure heart, nor have we loved our neighbor as ourselves. We have not done justice, loved kindness, or walked humbly with you, our God. Have mercy on us, O God, in your loving kindness. In your great compassion, cleanse us from our sin. Create in us a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within us. Do not cast us from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from us. Restore to us the joy of your salvation and sustain us with your bountiful spirit. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Of course, those are familiar words taken from Psalm 51, this penitent prayer of David. Even though he had done great wrong, he received forgiveness because God is a merciful God. Here now the assurance of pardon, the assurance of forgiveness for all who trust in Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. No matter what you've done, no matter what kind of week you've had, if you're looking to Jesus Christ, if you know that you have sinned and you know that he is your sufficient Savior, trust that your sins are forgiven in him because of his worthiness, because of his righteousness for you. I invite you to turn in your Bible to Nehemiah chapter 8. If you've been with us for a while, we've been working our way through the book of Nehemiah. I was looking back, all the way back to January so I hope that this book has been permeating your mind and permeating your daily life as we've meditated on these truths week by week throughout this spring, throughout the first part of this year. I certainly have had that experience. I've had the experience of talking with you and talking about rebuilding in our lives, rebuilding dif different things, and that is really the point thinking about how God is rebuilding us, how God is rebuilding his people. And certainly we've been on a journey of what it means to rebuild the walls that have been broken down. Certainly when we think of this spot in Nehemiah, it is a turning point. The end of, verse, or the end of chapter 7, the walls are completed. And then the question becomes, now what? And that's what we're going to learn about today. So I invite you to follow along with me. We're going to read... The whole chapter, Nehemiah 8. Hear now God's word from Nehemiah 8, starting in verse 1. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. 
And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood Mattathiah, Shema, Ananiah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Messiah on his right hand, and Padiah, Mishael, Malkijah, Hashum, Hashbanana, Zechariah, and Meshulam on his left hand. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people, and as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shabbatai, Hodiah, Masiah, Kelita, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, Peliah, the Levites, helped the people to understand the law, while the people remained in their places. They read from the book, from the law of God, clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. Nehemiah, and Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe and the Levites, who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat and drink sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. Verse 13. On the second day, the heads of the fathers' houses of all the people with the priests and the Levites came together to Ezra the scribe in order to study the words of the law. And they found, they found it written in the law that the Lord had commanded by Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month and that they should proclaim it and publish it in all their towns and in Jerusalem. Go out to the hills and bring branches of olive, wild olive, myrtle, palm, and other leafy trees to make booths, as it is written. So the people went out and brought them and made booths for themselves, each on his roof and in their courts and in the courts of the house of God and in the square at the water gate and in the square at the gate of Ephraim. And all the assembly of those who had returned from the captivity made booths and lived in the booths. For from the days of Jeshua, the son of Nun, to that day, the people of Israel had not done so. And there was very great rejoicing. And day by day, from the first day to the last day, he read from the book of the law of God. They kept the feast seven days, and on the eighth day, there was a solemn assembly according to the rule. 
Let's pray once again. Lord, as we open your word now, we do ask for your help. We ask for your grace that we might understand it, that it might be clear to us as it was clear to your people way back then. We ask for your spirit. We ask for your love. We ask for your goodness to us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So what builds and sustains a community once the physical building is complete? I'm told that churches that go through building programs, that it's fairly easy to motivate the people because you you see something being built, right? You say, okay, this much more money, and then we can complete the project, and everybody's focused on it, right? And then... Certainly, I've heard stories uh, of those of you who have been around here for a long time who remember the old days before this building was here and how everybody was unified. Everybody had a job to do. There was equipment to be brought out. There was equipment to be put away. Everyone was involved. And even though it was exhausting and people say, I would never want to do that again, there's a sense of fondness in which you look back on those memories, right? But then the challenge becomes, once a building is done, what do you do next? But there's all sorts of buildings and and rebuilds. Um, Sports teams rebuild, right? If they're really bad, they cut their losses, they trade away some of their players so that they can rebuild, and then perhaps five years later the team is good again. And you know that the rebuild has worked because the team is successful once again. Certainly projects around the house, you, you do these things and then you, you get to enjoy the house that you live in. But again, thinking of Nehemiah chapter 8, this turning point, the wall has been completed and the question is what's next? We see that after this physical rebuilding of the wall, they inquired of God about how they were to worship and live before the Lord. And just as the success of a team shows that the rebuild worked. There is something going on that was bigger than physical walls that were being built. These people were ready to serve the Lord. They were ready to be in his presence once again. And it showed by the attitude that they had, by the actions that they took after the physical walls were done. And when we think about our own lives, when we think about our church, when we think about our faith, I want you to think about God rebuilding you, God rebuilding me, God rebuilding us through his word. We tend to think of us building, us doing things, and there is certainly a place for that. But fundamentally speaking, God is the one who builds us, and he does that through his word. We see that all throughout this passage. I hope you caught that. As I read the very long passage, God's word is central. So we're going to look at three ways in which they were built by God's word. The first, if you're taking notes, is that they they read God's word. They were reading God's word. This is 1 through 8. What did their reading of God's word look like? Again, we have the experience, uh, we come here each week and we hear the word of God read, we listen to it, we have the way that we do things around here. But it's fascinating to look back and see 
how they read God's word and, and the manner in which they did it. The first three verses, we see their unity. Their unity. All the people were gathered as one man, men and women, all who could understand. They were together. Yes, it's important to read your Bible on your own. Yes, it's important to be thinking about God's word, to hide it in your heart that you might not sin against the Lord. But there's something about coming together and being unified together under God's word. That was what was happening back then. And then uh, they were unified in the way that they looked at it. Listen to the way that it's described. They told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law that the Lord had commanded Israel. It's interesting. You think of the leaders of the church are the ones who come and say, hey, come, gather around, listen to God's word. But the way it's written here is they are requesting this. They are ready. They want Ezra to come and read the word of God to them. It's interesting. Nobody called me this week and said, hey, are you going to preach this week? They knew it was going to happen. It's already arranged, but there is a sense in which we come before the Lord and we, we want to hear him speak. We need for him to speak to us. And these people, God's people way back then, were, were desiring God's truth. The building of the wall was done, and then they were ready to hear God's word. So they told Ezra to come, and he obliged. And it says that the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. It wasn't just a formality. They really wanted to hear. They were attentive. They were listening. Even though they might have been tired, you think about this, six hours of reading. I don't know what kind of stamina you all have if if I did that today. Um, Your plans would probably have to change a little bit. But yet... They were attentive to the reading of God's word. It showed that something was happening. And we should be asking ourselves, where, where is this desire for God's word? If we don't feel it, we should pray that we would have it. We should pray that we would be like them. In the law, it, it, it talked about, in Deuteronomy, it talked about how these words, the words of God should be upon our lives. Listen to Deuteronomy 6. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. This is the calling of God's people way back in the law, and they were beginning to, to live this out. They were unified together, they were listening, and they were submitting themselves to God's word. God had been working in them up to this point, and certainly failure to be attentive to God's word was what led them out into exile in the first place. So we see this unity, but then they also saw the authority of God's word. We see this in verses 4 and 5. It said that they built a wooden platform for Ezra. This was so that everybody could see. Everybody could see the book. It was probably a scroll. But everybody was able to see Ezra reading. Everybody was able to hear him. So they put this platform up. And it wasn't because... Uh, Ezra himself as a man had this great authority, but it was God's word that they viewed as the authority. 
And it said that he opened the book in the sight of all the people, and as he opened it, all the people stood. So this was a sign of great respect. I don't know if they stood the whole time for the six hours. That would be pretty impressive. Mental stamina is one thing. Physical stamina is another thing. But they stood. They saw that this was no ordinary thing. This was not just someone's experience of God. This was God's word to them. And they respected it. Just as if a dignitary walked into this room, we would rise. Just as when you are at a wedding, the the bride is in the back, everybody rises. We show respect and we respect the authority of God's word when it is read. But we also see their humility with which they read. Verse 6 speaks about Ezra's prayer. said uh, he blessed the Lord. He prayed. This is similar to what we do when we pray. We pray that God would illumine our hearts and minds as we read his word. We pray for God's help when, even when we're reading the Bible on our own. Um, in our devotional time, we pray and ask for God's help. So Ezra blessed and prayed, but then we see the response of the people. They said, amen, amen. Every now and then I hear some amens around here when, you, when the Spirit touches you and you, you agree in your heart with what is said. Certainly when the word of God is read, we can say amen, amen. And it said that they lifted up their hands. They were fully engaged. And then they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And these were different physical expressions of praise and of humility. And I want to tell you that these things are okay. Sometimes we're very stiff. Sometimes we are afraid to engage. We're afraid to get out of control. But these people could not help themselves as they worshiped the Lord, as they heard his word, as they heard the promises, as they heard the commands. They, they did these things, and these things are acceptable and good. Th- these physical manifestations of worship and humility and praise to the Lord. So they were unified. They recognized the authority of God's word. They were humble before God's word, and then they were changed by the clarity of God's word. It said that the Levites helped the people to understand the law. They read from the book, from the law of God, clearly. How important is it to hear God's word clearly, that we would understand it, that we would believe it, that it is taught in a way that kids can understand, that adults can understand, that people who have walk with the Lord for many years, or who are new to the faith. It's so important for the word to be taught clearly. This is what the Levites were doing, and this is what we are called to do when we are called to teach one another, to encourage one another. No matter if you're a pastor or an officer in the church, we are all called to know God's word and to be able to to teach it, to explain it to others as God gives us the opportunity. So think about this. What is the place of God's word among us? Of course, when we come together in worship, it is preached. It is part of our uh, confessions. It is part of our um, call to worship. It is the, the benediction, all these things. But think about this week. Think about your daily life and think about all the voices in your life that scream for your attention. 
Often it's coming from uh, that device that we have in our pocket. It comes from our TV. We read from the catechism earlier this morning, but I don't know if you know about other catechisms that are out there. Uh, You may not know them by the name of catechism, but there are cable news catechisms. There are talk radio catechisms. There are Catechism is anything that is influencing your thinking, that is training you to think. And uh, There's nothing wrong with, with watching cable news. There's nothing wrong with listening to the radio. I like talk radio myself. But we always have to be able to listen critically. And we've got to be careful that some of these voices that are around us don't become the catechism. That we are able to discern for ourselves what is good and what uh, is below the Bible, if you know what I mean. So uh, these voices are always screaming for our attention. So we've got to give God's word prime of place in our lives. We've got to be thinking about it. We've got to be dwelling upon it. If you notice the songs that were chosen this morning, they're all based around God's word and building our life upon him. I hope that you've had the experience of singing these songs throughout the week. You ever do that for yourself? You're doing a mundane task, and you're, you're thinking about the words that you sang in church. It's one of the reasons why we sing, so that we, we minister to one another, we worship the Lord, but then we're thinking about these things throughout the week. Many of you have had the experience of memorizing Scripture through songs. So whatever it takes to get God's Word in our mind, in our heart, living dwelling, being what defines us, being what humbles us, being what gives us what is our ultimate authority. So God's word must have the prime of place among us here in this building, throughout our lives, throughout the week, in our hearts and in our minds. Again, they wouldn't have done all those things if if it was just a formality. They were really beginning to be changed. God had been working in their lives through the the building of the temple, the building of the walls, and it was the right time, and they were ready to hear God's word. And we should pray that we would always be ready to hear God's word, to know it and understand it in a deeper way. So they read the word, and then there was rejoicing in the word, but there was a problem first. There was grief. And the question of this section, verses 9 through 12, is how do they go from grief to joy? And they went from grief to joy through celebration. Listen to what happened. They, they first were convicted. Verse 9, it says, Ezra the priest and scribe and the Levites who taught all the people said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. So he asked the question, why did they weep? Why were they weeping in this moment? Well, again, think about what they were listening to. They were listening to God's law. Scholars aren't sure if they were able to hear the entirety of the Pentateuch. Probably not. It was probably different sections, certainly the book of Deuteronomy. But you think about it. They're listening to the commands of the Lord They're listening to the blessings that would come if they obeyed. They were also listening to the cursings that would come if they disobeyed. And then they're thinking back to all that they and their ancestors had experienced. They had been kicked out of the land. 
they had been brought into exile for many years and had just been brought back. And then everything was coming into focus. They saw that they had not lived up to God's law. They saw that they had experienced these curses. And they wept. They were convicted of their sin. They were affected. They were deeply affected by God's word. And this is a good thing. May it never be that we're not affected by God's word. And when we are in those moments when we don't feel affected, we should pray that we would. But we see that their response was not appropriate for the occasion. It would be like at a wedding, you know, we've been, some of us, many of us have been to weddings and we shed a tear and we're a little bit sad or a little bit happy. But if someone is in a wedding uncontrollably, uncontrollably crying, that would be out of place, right? That would kind of put a damper on the occasion. And that is what God's people had done. They, they were so consumed with their sin and with the memory of their sin, they weren't able to respond appropriately to the occasion. And what was the occasion? This was a time of rejoicing. This was a time when they were to be celebrating before the Lord. And he said, celebrate. He said, go your way, eat the fat and drink the sweet wine Send portions to anyone who has nothing ready, for this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Sometimes in our culture, we have a hard time telling people to get over... Let me put it a different way. We have our feelings. And sometimes we have a hard time when someone tells us something that's contrary to our feelings. Maybe we're depressed. Maybe we've identified ourselves in a certain way. Maybe we, we don't feel like I can, we can get past a certain situation. It seems hopeless. But here, God is saying, the joy of the Lord is your strength. He commands them to celebrate. And yes, we should be in touch with our feelings. Yes, we should not ignore our feelings. But there is a higher authority. There is a higher word that defines you and defines me. And the way that they were able to move through this conviction, again, they had to go through it. They had to be convicted of our sins and realize what they had done, all that the Lord had brought them through, all the difficulty. But then it was time to celebrate. And they needed to celebrate. This was what was going to bring them through. He said, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Where does the joy of the Lord come from for you and for me. It's not by picking ourselves up by our bootstraps and doing better. It's not by turning over a new leaf as much as we need to do that. It comes from good news coming down. Think about this. The joy of the Lord is your strength. That was a promise of God's word. We believe that the Bible is fundamentally what we are to do before God and what we are to believe. This is what we believe the Bible uh, is principally made up of, of commands and of promises. And the way that they were going to make it through this conviction, the way that they were going to move uh, beyond it, is through God's promise. God's grace to them is our strength. Think about this wonderful promise 
Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, in that, we were, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We need to remember promises like this, that we are defined not by our feelings, not by the week that we had in the past, but we are defined by God and his word, and we're defined by his grace. Again, none of us is worthy. None of us can say, I can stand on my own. It is only through Jesus. It is only in what he did for you that you can stand before the Lord and that you can get past that conviction, that guilt, that true guilt that you and I have earned. But Jesus took upon himself. Again, if we're not rejoicing in the gospel, we're, we're no different than anyone else in this world trying to be right or be worthy on our own. I think that's why so many people are depressed, is that we're trying to find our worth in something that we can do rather than in what Jesus has done for us. So, in love, they were confronted by the gospel. In love, they were confronted with the truth that the joy of the Lord was their strength. And the joy of the Lord is your strength when you trust in Jesus and that you know that you are accepted through what he did for you. And then they celebrated. And we celebrate. We celebrate the good news when we sing. Listen to what they did. They ate, they drank, they made great rejoicing. They even made provision for anybody who didn't have much. Again, if you, whether you are rich or poor or in between, the cross is where we all meet together, our greatest joy. Our joy is not in our portfolio. Our joy is not in our new house. Our joy is not ultimately in things going our way in this world. Our joy is in Jesus and who he is for us. That's what we can celebrate, no matter if things are going to go good this week or next week. They were willing to let God's word define them even when their hearts condemned them. Again, they didn't feel like celebrating. They felt like crying. And sometimes when we show up here, we feel like crying. We, we stumble in here. We may look okay on the outside, but we're suffering on the inside. And God even calls you to celebrate, to let the Lord be your strength once again and to be encouraged through the gospel. So they read God's word. They rejoiced in it. They were able to move through that experience of conviction that was so difficult. And they found their joy in the gospel, in the Lord's strength. And then they were able to remember through God's word, remember through God's word. So what led to further rejoicing? Well, it was this feast of booths. It was the seventh month. We see that the leaders were studying and, and interested in doing the word. It says in verse 13, On the second day, the heads of the father's houses, all the people with the priests and the Levites, came together to Ezra the scribe in order to study the words of the law. And they found it written in the law that the Lord had commanded by Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month. They studied the word so that they could do it. They didn't study the word just so that they could impress other people, just so that they could have something to say when they're at the Bible study. But they really wanted to do it. And it showed it when they came across this passage that talked about the Feast of Booths. 
The Feast of Booth is described in Leviticus 23 and Numbers 29. And what's important to note is that it was a celebration. It was a celebration to remember the Exodus. And they were to, it says booths, but it's really picture a tent. They were to make these booths and they were to live in them. They were to have this experience, even though they had built their houses for this period of time, which was about a week, they were to live in these booths and they were to think about the Lord. They were to think about how the Lord had been faithful to them in the wilderness. And isn't that the the difficulty when we have been blessed by the Lord with, with physical things that sometimes we forget the Lord's blessing and the way that he has kept us. And this is what, what, we, what we must do. Um, think about this. Why do couples celebrate anniversaries? Certainly it should remind them of their love and commitment to their spouse. Uh, but in the, feast of Bo- in the Feast of Booths, God, was, God had been faithful to lead and provide in the wilderness And he led his people to the promised land, and he would continue to lead them. And because they had understood God's word, they had this experience of remembering what God had done in the past. We have baptism in the Lord's Supper, these tangible things that God gives us to remember what Jesus has done for us. Calvin spoke about our weak faith needing to be strengthened, and that's why God gives us not only his word, but these tangible pictures of God's word so that when we're baptized, we feel the water upon us or when we watch someone else be baptized, we remember that water being placed upon us or being put under the water. When we take the Lord's Supper, which we did last week, we we taste the bread, we drink the cup, we remember and our senses are engaged with what Jesus did for us and his love for us. Think about these verses from 2 Timothy. We are called to remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David as preached in my gospel for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. So we remember Jesus Christ through these things. When we read his word, when we sing songs, you may have certain songs, I have them. When I sing them, I think about God's faithfulness in the past. Certainly, great is thy faithfulness is one of those for me, but maybe you have one that's for you that helps which you remember God's faithfulness. But they remembered through God's word and they were able to experience something special with this Feast of Booths. So wrapping up here, reading God's word was what they were all about. They were fully engaged. They participated. They rejoiced in God's word. They were able to move through that experience of conviction and guilt And find joy in the strength of the Lord. And they were able to remember through God's word as they took another look at it. And they saw that this was a a festival that they hadn't celebrated in a very long time. And there was great rejoicing because they they were able to remember what the Lord did for them. So remember this. When the building, when the physical building is done is when the real building begins. This building was, was built in, in 2003, right? And that's when the building, the real building began in terms of God's word building us up into a community, into a people to be changed by the Lord, to be a blessing to our community. Listen to these promises from 1 Peter 2. 
As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one building you and building me through his word. That's why we revere it. That's why we trust in God through it. And that's why we we worship him. So let's pray to him now. Thank you, God, for the power of your word. Thank you for how you changed your people way back when in the book of Nehemiah. To make them a people ready to hear your word, to listen to it attentively, to be convicted by it, but then to receive joy through it as they trusted in your promises. And then, Lord, to to celebrate and to enjoy this, this feast. Lord, we pray that we would be ones who rejoice in your word, that we would rejoice in your promises, that we would rejoice that you are the one who defines us ultimately, and that you are at work in our lives to make us a holy people, people who look like you, people who look like Jesus, who help those in need, who point to you instead of ourselves, and most of all, want your name to be glorified in the earth. So I pray that for this church, I pray that through, for your people all throughout this world, that we would be transformed, that we would experience conviction of sin, but then we would come to you through the gospel and be renewed once again as you did for your people. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Before God's parting blessing, I remind you that we have Sunday school at 9.45 till 10.45, so we have that for all ages if you're able to stick around and study God's word. But receive now God's blessing from 2 Corinthians 13. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.